3: Welcome to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Now get ready for Strange Things with Joshua P. Warren. The thoughts and opinions expressed by the host are
1: thoughts and opinions only and do not necessarily reflect those of iHeartMedia, iHeartRadio, Coast to Coast AM, employees of Premier Networks or their sponsors and associates. You are encouraged to do the proper amount of research yourself depending on the subject matter and your needs. Joshua P. Warren.
3: I am Joshua P. Warren, and each week on this show, I'll be bringing you brand new, mind-blowing content, news, exercises, and weird experiments you can do at home, and a lot more on this edition of the show, Stigmatized Properties, The Facts. That's right, just the facts, ma'am. Do you know what a stigmatized property is? That is an official term for a location with a bad reputation. And uh, I'm going to dig into that more deeply soon. But right off the bat, when I think about this, given my background, it reminds me of, you know, growing up, becoming a, a ghost hunter And at some point hearing about this house in New York that is considered the only legally haunted house in America. And I know you're thinking, what? What do you, what do you mean legally haunted? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Well, let me explain here. Uh, there is an article I recently found about this topic at realtor.com. I'll just give you the uh, first paragraph or so. It says, "Uh, where's the beginning? Okay, there we go. Uh, it says, Cynthia Ackley Cavanaugh recalls sitting on her bed in her new home when the cord to the light above began swinging in a way that she had never seen before. It wasn't, Sloping in an arc as it should. Instead, it was as if some invisible force were playing ping-pong with the pool switch. The year was 1967. Her father had gotten a job in New York City, and the family had recently traded their Maryland farm for a derelict Victorian just north of New York City. Her parents, Helen and George Ackley, were determined to restore the rundown 4,200 square foot house on the Hudson river where they planned to raise their four children built in 1890. The house had sat vacant for seven years before the Ackley's bought it. And during that time, neighborhood children would say they saw faces in the windows over their two decades in the home. The Ackley's would have many inexplicable experiences. They heard mysterious footsteps and voices. Doors and windows would fly open. On several occasions, they claimed they even received visits from peaceful spirits wearing clothes from centuries past. The paranormal was just part and parcel of their new home. There's a picture of this house in this article, and uh, (laughs) it sure looks haunted. This article, by the way, is by Claire... Trapasso. And uh, it goes on to say the old Victorian would eventually achieve infamy in the early 1990s after the Ackley's put it on the market. When the buyers learned of the home's supernatural history, they tried to back out of the deal to recover their deposit. They sued and the court for the first time established that a property was haunted and a published opinion, that opinion, colloquially referred to as the Ghostbusters ruling, established the Ackley residence as the only known legally haunted house in America. And then, of course, this article goes on to talk at great length about uh, the things that were happening in the house. But let's get to the point of this podcast. What, what do you mean? They, a court determined this was a legally haunted house well uh here is how all that panned out um because this goes back to this idea of a stigmatized property okay so in that case which was called stambowski versus ackley the new york supreme court appellate division affirmed a narrow interpretation of the idea of stigmatized property. The court held that since the property in question was previously marketed by the seller as a, quote, haunted house, he was a stopped and that's a legal term, Astopped, which I'm not a lawyer, but I believe that means you can't renig on something that you've said before. He was a stopped from claiming the contrary. The majority opinion Specifically noted that the veracity of the claims of paranormal activities were outside the purview of the opinion. Okay. So basically here's, here's what I believe that means in, in plain language that at some point in the past, the, the people who own the house had claimed in some notable way that the house was haunted. And so the court found that. If you claim that your house is haunted, then from a legal standpoint in the real estate market, that makes it haunted. And in some cases that has to be disclosed. So it's not about the reality of the phenomenon. It's about the, um, the opinion that the owner has of the property that the owner is trying to sell. That's really odd and interesting on a number of levels, isn't it? It it almost borders on the Tulpa thing. Like, can you make your property haunted by just saying it's haunted? But okay. But but let me look at myself here. Okay. So, um, you know, I have this, uh, house that I bought a little over a year ago here in Las Vegas. Now, uh, I do not believe this house is haunted. As a matter of fact, I would not live in a haunted house because I don't like surprises. Uh, if I go to a haunted house, that's work for me. Okay, I'm, <laughs> I here I, I I also feel like you know if you're in a in a haunted place, it's almost like an invasion of privacy, or there's something looming over you. So I do not live in a haunted house. I have, however had ghostly things happen in this house if I bring in certain objects and stuff. And, you know, I've mentioned that before, like, for example, the the FDR wheelchair. Um, but regardless, so does, does that mean, however, you know, I've gotten on the radio and I've said, like, there has been ghostly activity in my house. Does that mean that if I ever wanted to sell this house, that I would have to make a point to bring up? to the buyer that ghostly things have happened here because in some cases that would be completely weird and out of the blue and inappropriate probably in most cases actually now of course i'm kind of a crazy guy so when i was you know with my realtor and we were looking at this house i said so just tell me you know straight up (laughs) Has there ever been a dead body in the attic or anything like has anybody has anything crazy happened here? Um, no, nothing has. That's one of the things about living in, in Las Vegas. Uh, a lot of the real estate around here is is quite new. Vegas, as we know, it didn't even start really appearing until the 1940s, you know, but nonetheless, uh, would I have to do that? Well, I, in a second, I'm going to get into the laws and I'm going to tell you what the facts are um, to some extent on a state by state basis for whether or not you have to disclose that kind of information. Um, uh, and and, and it, it turns out here where I am. No, I would not have to to say that. And in some places you would have to bring that up. And you might want to bring it up anyway, just to be on the safe side. I don't know. But this all goes back to the idea of a stigmatized property. And so here is what that means. In real estate, stigmatized property is a property that buyers or tenants may shun for reasons that are unrelated to its physical condition or features. These can include the death of an occupant, murder, suicide, or yes, even the belief that a house is haunted. Isn't this an interesting thing to start exploring? Again, we're talking about things that are unrelated to the physical condition, and yet it makes a difference in terms of how desirable a place is. Hmm. I wonder why that phenomenon exists. If there's nothing to the idea of a spiritual realm or things that get imprinted, right? Says controversy exists regarding the definitions of stigma and what sorts of stigma must be disclosed at sale. It is argued that the seller has a duty to disclose any such history of the property. This, in practice, falls into two categories, demonstrable, which is physical, and emotional. Local jurisdictions vary widely on their interpretation of these issues, and it occasionally contradicts federal law. When we come back from this break, I'm going to break this down and go into, like, okay, what are the types of stigma, and then um, what what states are there? There's just a handful of states that say, absolutely, you've got to disclose this. We'll dig into that when we come back. You know, this is the part of the show when I usually just say, please go to my website, JoshuaPWarren.com, and sign up for my free e-newsletter there and, you know, get some cool instant freebies from me, some online stuff. But I also want to tell you that, you know, sometimes people. Uh, if you sign up for the e-newsletter, you might not get it because when you send out these mass mailings, sometimes they get locked up in spam or they just disappear into the ether. So always make sure you also add, uh, my email address to your contacts, or you can just reply to your introductory automated email and say, Hey, Josh, got it, you know, And, and that way it'll help to prevent that from happening. But be sure, in addition, to um, follow me on social media. I'm probably most active on Twitter, at Joshua P. Warren. And you can also find this show on Facebook, or just type in my name, Joshua P. Warren, on Facebook, and you'll find me there as well. But definitely make sure you subscribe at JoshuaPWarren.com. That's me. You're listening to Strange Things on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. And I will be right back.
1: Don't go anywhere. There's more Joshua P. Warren and
2: strange things coming right up. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. Visit BetterHelp.com slash strange things today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P pcom slash strange things.
0: Take us with you anywhere. This is the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network.
1: And now back to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network and Strange Things.
3: You and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. I am your host, the Wizard of Weird, Joshua P. Warren, beaming into your wormhole brain from my studio in Sin City, Las Vegas, Nevada, where every day is golden and every night is silver. Adiatato Zume! And I'm talking right now about stigmatized properties. And uh, there is a list of different types of stigma. Many jurisdictions recognize several forms of stigmatized property and have passed resolutions or statutes to deal with them. And uh, one issue that separates them is disclosure. Depending on the jurisdiction of the house, the seller may not be required to disclose the full facts. Some specific types must uh, always be disclosed. Others are up to the jurisdiction, and others, in some cases, up to the realtor. And again, I'm going to get into a little bit more of a state by state breakdown here in a minute. But here are types of stigma. Okay, first we have criminal stigma, meaning the property was used in the ongoing commission of a crime. So, for example, a house is stigmatized if it has been used as a brothel, a chop shop or a drug den um next we have a debt stigma debt collectors unaware that a debtor has moved out of a particular residence may continue their pursuit at the same location resulting in harassment of innocent subsequent occupiers so that can be especially bad if like some collection agency has very aggressive or even illegal tactics and they don't realize like you got the wrong guy. You know that <laughs> that dude is gone. Um, Next, there is a category called minimal stigma. Uh It says it's known to or taken seriously by only a small select group and such a stigma is unlikely to affect the ability to sell the property. Um, That's weird because they don't even give an example of that. Uh And so I guess minimal stigma would be almost like maybe, you know, maybe they're just some neighbors who didn't like the person in the house and they therefore have a dislike of that general piece of property. I don't know. Uh Next, this is where it gets more obvious. The murder suicide stigma. Uh, Some jurisdictions in the United States require property sellers to reveal if a murder or suicide occurred on the premises. Uh, California state law does if the event occurred within the previous three years. Um, That's interesting, isn't it? So (laughs) only if it's within three years do you have to have to bring that up. Uh, To protect sellers from lawsuits, Florida state law does not require any notification. In North Carolina, sellers and agents do not have to volunteer information about the death of previous occupants, but a direct question must be answered truthfully. So I guess if you're selling the place, you don't have to bring it up. But if somebody asks you, you you know, and you you know the answer, you, you need to tell them. Um, and then there is what they call the phenomena stigma. Many but not all jurisdictions require disclosure if a house is renowned for haunting, ghost sightings, etc. This is in a separate category from public stigma, wherein the knowledge of haunting is restricted to a local market. Perceived paranormal activity is an indicator of a possible air quality hazard, such as carbon monoxide or toxic mold. That's interesting, huh? So they're making this case here that, well, um, if, if you say it's haunted because weird, you see weird things, it might not just be your imagination. Maybe there's something in the house that's, toxic that's making you hallucinate. This actually gets pretty complicated, doesn't it? When you start like really looking at all those kinds of variables. Uh, Next, we have the public stigma category. uh, When the stigma is known to a wide selection of the population and any reasonable person can be expected to know of it. Examples include the Amityville Horror House and the home of the Menendez brothers. Uh, Public stigma must always be disclosed in almost all American and European jurisdictions. Well, wow, this really does boil down to the the legal system and perhaps the opinion of a jury, doesn't it? And, and by the way, let me pause to say that um, I won't use his name here without his explicit uh, permission, but uh, I know a man who lives here in the U S who is a paranormal investigator who specifically seeks out stigmatized properties that uh need, you know, renovation work and that kind of thing done because he is he's for one thing he's not only uh unafraid to be in that environment but he he wants to go to that environment because he's a, a great craftsman and he can do all of these, you know, he could li- he literally have his own home improvement show but at the same time um he is investigating the paranormal. So there are people who, you know, are I guess ironically more apt to to buy a piece of property or to be involved somehow with the piece of property that is stigmatized. So uh let's see this encyclopedia article I'm reading here uh it goes on and on saying at least in the United States the principle of caveat emptor I mean let uh, meaning let the buyer beware was held for many years to govern sales. As the idea of an implied warranty of habit, habitability began to find blah, blah, blah. Okay. So, but then, you know, it gets into this, this kind of changing because of that haunted house in, in New York case I was telling you about. Um, and then they also, uh, in this article, dig a little, little more deeply into stuff like, you know, the Amityville horror house and, um, you know, it just, it just about any house. Where something reached a national thres- threshold of fame however you determine that. Um, so okay, well what what does this mean for you? Now, look, I'm not going to go over every state. There are fifty states in the United States for those of you who are listening outside of our country, but Zillow the real estate uh, real estate uh, website, they put out um, this story in 2019 and it says selling a haunted house. Here's what you need to know. And the subtitle here is Zillow analysis finds that most States don't require home sellers to disclose paranormal activity to buyers. And basically Here's the gist of this thing. Um, they do talk about how that um, in in some cases, like for, they say, like in, in Alaska, a death within one year must be disclosed, uh, and and like in South Dakota, sellers must disclose a homicide on the property. I don't know how that these very specific, nuanced laws get get brought up and passed in these particular states. But there are a lot of states that have some kind of little nuance like that. Like, um, for example, Alabama, it says like a court ruled a seller must disclose any uh, important defect or condition that affects the health or safety and is unknown to the buyer. So mm, that's kind of up to interpretation. Right. Like uh, and then. Uh, in Arizona, because, you know, obviously I'm starting with the A's here, it says a court ruled that a seller must disclose important facts that might negatively affect the value of the property. Again, that's kind of up to interpretation because some people specifically buy places because they're haunted. So so all, there are a lot of these like weird things like in Colorado It says facts that could cause psychological impact or stigma, such as death, are not required to be disclosed. Paranormal activity likely not required to be disclosed. So (laughs) when you go through this whole list of states and you see all of these little nuanced things, there are only, let me see, one, I think there are three states. One. okay. there, I think there's only three states where there is a direct mention in the state law that says that you have got to disclose paranormal activity. Now, just take a moment and think what states do you think those are? Because they're all in the same area of the country. This is actually a really interesting kind of trivia question. What part of the United States of America do you think has this little cluster of states in which you somebody took the time to write into the law that you have got to specifically disclose paranormal activity? (laughs) Uh, And, you know, I can imagine that there are people out there who would think like, "Hmm, well, um." Maybe it's somewhere in the south, you know, where, where they're more superstitious, like Louisiana or something like that. Or or you might think, well, maybe it's up in, in the north where you had, like, the witch trials and stuff like that. Or or maybe it's out west where you had all, you know, the, the spooky things happening to the pioneers. Uh, looks like it's break time. So when we come back, I'm going to tell you what these states are where it is. Legally mandated in their actual law to disclose this. Then I'm going to tell you about like at least one brush that I've had with this kind of situation where I went to a, a house where the people there just didn't want me to talk about ghosts. And maybe it's because they were going to sell it and they didn't want to get involved in this. And then I have so much other weird stuff. I'm glad that I've got some time left to dig into it. I'm Joshua P. Warren. You're listening to Strange Things on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. And I will be back after these important messages. Don't go anywhere. There's
0: more strange things coming right up.
1: At PurdueGlobal.edu.
3: Hey, it's Dr. Sky, and you're listening to the iHeart Radio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network.
1: And we're back with Strange Things and Joshua P. Warren.
3: Strange Things on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. I am your host, Joshua P. Warren, and this is the show where the unusual becomes usual. What do you think the four states are that specifically mention paranormal activity in their laws? Uh, You know... During the break, I was looking over all these states and all the nuances and like, I think here's the best way to sum it up. Okay, so nine states have laws around the disclosure of death on the property. According to California law, sellers must disclose any deaths that have happened on the property within three years, as I said. In Alaska, a death within one year must be disclosed, and in South Dakota, sellers must disclose a homicide on the property. In Connecticut, Delaware, Georgia, New Hampshire, New Jersey, and South Carolina, sellers must disclose a death on the property only if asked, but there are four states that specifically mentioned paranormal activity in their real estate disclosure laws. Those states are New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, and Minnesota. <laughs> now I'm going to get deeper into that in a second, but right off the bat, I mean, New York, New Jersey, and Massachusetts, that little cluster right there, um, I mean, you think of Massachusetts, you think of Salem, or at least I do, where the Salem witch trials occurred and all the superstition around there. And I don't know if that has anything to do with this or not. But I do think it's interesting that that little area is where, you know, they have paranormal activity mentioned. Minnesota, I mean, I, I don't know. All I can tell you is it's another northern state, but. But the funny thing is, um, even though those states have paranormal activity, that doesn't mean uh, in, written in, in, into the law. That doesn't mean that you have to talk about the paranormal activity. So, for example, the laws in Minnesota and Massachusetts state that it is unnecessary to disclose if the house is haunted by paranormal activity or the supernatural. So they specifically point out paranormal stuff and say you don't have to talk about it. In New Jersey, a seller must truthfully tell a buyer if their property comes with departed roommates, so to speak, but only if asked. So, again, it's one of those things, only if asked. And then because of that case in New York from 1991, um, New York State declared that sellers must disclose to buyers that they think a house is haunted only if they have already shared this opinion, quote, to the public at large. But as long as they keep their supernatural encounters to themselves, they are under no obligation to speak up. And uh for more information on that, uh, you can go to this website, krbhk.com, krbhk.com. Most states, however, uh, according to this real estate site it says uh f- most states follow the contract doctrine of uh the buyer beware okay so that's that's why really you know um you you can just check on it uh and just ask the questions or type the address and do an internet search <laughs> i think it would be interesting for for some um somebody who's a real like library geek out there To open a service that, uh, where you pay, you know, a couple hundred bucks or whatever. And the person just goes and researches the history of your property and gives you like a little portfolio. I mean, they could just email it to you that has everything they could dig up about the history of your address. Uh, wouldn't that be cool? I wonder if that's already out there. If not, somebody should start that business up and, um, and let me know about it because I'll, uh, I'll promote it i think that would be amazing um all right so now getting back to my own personal experiences i mean like i could give you lots of stories about people who did not want me talking about their their haunted property but um the the first one that comes to mind is is there is a very well-known haunted house in Asheville, north carolina that's been published about written about and published about. And uh, when I first came into contact with it, it was the lady who owned it, had a bed and breakfast there and she was all about ghosts. And she would tell me all the ghost stories. And I mean, she was promoting that and then she sold the house. And then the new people who got it, they also wanted to run it as a bed and breakfast. But the next time I went there to see them, they said, you are not allowed to talk about ghosts here anymore. And, pretty much, you know, ran me off the property, man. I've been getting kicked out of a lot of places lately. Actually, that was a long time ago. Um, but, uh, I, I you know, I'm used to being run off because there are times where, like I say, you just don't know. It's going to go one way or the other. And I've encountered so many times where people are like, Nope, you cannot talk about this. And, um, I've even had guns pulled on me. I mean, like w- one day, maybe I'll just do a podcast about. Times where people have gotten really ticked off at me because I've, you know, asked a question or whatever that they didn't like. But, um, so, uh, I don't know if at this house the new owners didn't want me talking about it because that they thought it would scare their clients or if they had maybe like a religious, you know, problem with it or if, um, perhaps it was, That they wanted to resell it and they were afraid that they'd heard it could influence things. But I don't think it shouldn't have mattered because the house was already widely published about as a haunted place. So I have, you know, I, I have encountered that kind of thing. And I think it really does vary a lot depending on where you are on on planet Earth. I mean. Uh, cultures all over the, the countries of the world have, you know, very different views on this. And, um, some of the countries that are, you might think of as being more spiritual actually talk about spooky stuff less, which is ironic because they are, you know, they, they are fearful of it. You know what? This reminds me. Here's a weird fact to wait about Earth. I've been looking for an opportunity to bring this up for a while. Um, you know how that like when uh, probably when you were a kid in school, at least you came across a globe and the globe often was what they would call a, a raised relief globe where it had texture. Like you could run your hand over it and you could feel the mountains and then maybe it would dip down in, into the valleys and stuff like that. Turns out that is insanely exaggerated. I was watching an interview that the scientist Neil deGrasse Tyson was doing recently, and he wrote a book about the Earth, apparently, and he said that if you were a giant and you reach down to stroke the Earth, the Earth is a smoother sphere than any cue ball ever made. It's like, what? Cause you know, you see these depictions of earth having like a pear shape and it kind of wobbles and all that. He goes, no, nah, no. Nah. He said, that is, and, and here's how he explained it. He said that, okay, if you go to the top of Mount Everest, which is the highest peak on the, the crust here, the, the litho, the lithosphere, I suppose. Um, and then if you go to the, the Mariana Trench, which is the, the lowest point on the crust, the difference between those two points is only 11 miles. I mean, that's not much. I think he said it's like the size of Manhattan or something like that. And yet the Earth is 8,000 miles in diameter. So the Earth is actually like an almost... Amazingly, impossibly smooth, perfect sphere. And, uh, you never hear people put things, you know, in that kind of perspective. But, um, I thought that was pretty, pretty wild. I mean, would you have, would you have guessed that, that the earth is, as he said, smoother, a smoother sphere than any cue ball ever made? That's just crazy, isn't it? And yet there's so much variation, you know, as I'm, I'm, I'm I'm recording this show right now, I kid you not, you know, uh, here I am again in Las Vegas right now. It is 112 degrees Fahrenheit outside. And, uh, Supposedly tomorrow, it's going to be 118 degrees. Now, you know, I I wrote a book about uh, Death Valley, ghosts, UFOs and legends of Death Valley. Death Valley is the hottest place on Earth. Death Valley got up to 134 degrees Fahrenheit, which is 56.7 Celsius back in July of 1913 uh So I don't know what that tells us about, you know, global warming. But um Lauren and I went there to Death Valley in July one time, and it was 117. And yet tomorrow here in Las Vegas, which is only about a two-hour drive from Death Valley, it's supposed to be 118. So I'm living in, like, Death Valley temperatures. But you know what's wild? I, living here... I am cold more than I am hot because everywhere you go, people just blast the air conditioning and they freeze you to death. It's hard to figure out how to dress here because, you know, you put on your short sleeve shirt and your shorts to go out when, you know, you're in the blast furnace when it's 115 degrees. And then you go into some store or some movie theater or some casino and now you're freezing to death. So I'm literally cold more than i am hot because of climate control and air conditioning living here that's a weird thing because people say josh how do you stand living in that in in the desert where it's that hot well i'm I'm cold more than you probably are okay when we come back i got a tip that i'm going to give you about something simple you can eat before you go to bed that will supposedly give you the best sleep ever Wait till you hear this tip. All right. I'm Joshua P. Warren. You're listening to Strange Things on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. And I will be right back.
1: Don't go anywhere. There's more strange things
0: coming right up.
1: at purdueglobal.edu. Hi, this is Ouija board expert Karen A. Dahlman, and you're listening to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network.
3: Hi, this is George Norrie, and you're listening to the new iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Now let's get back to Strange Things with Joshua P. Warren. To the final segment of this edition of Strange Things on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. I am your host, Joshua P. Warren. And real quick, when it comes to Las Vegas, you know, people have a lot of misconceptions about what it's like to live out here. Um, people, when they think, th- of you living in las vegas they think that you live like in the bellagio or something you live on the strip um (laughs) there is there's a whole big wide vast world of um Mountains and, believe it or not, streams and a lot of really interesting nature uh, here. Uh, one thing that's kind of cool about living in Las Vegas is that because it is so dry and hot, it's a very sterile environment. So in many ways, it's actually healthier. For example, you know, I used to live in Puerto Rico, which it was like living in a terrarium. Where everything is teeming with life, the air, the soil, the walls, you know, there's, there are insects and, and, and molds and fungi. And it's like everything is just oozing and oscillating with life. And, uh, and you get sick, you know, a lot in that environment where everything thrives, but out here, I mean, like you gotta be, you gotta be tough to survive. That's why this is kind of a, you know, it's a, it's an oasis in the desert, but, um, one thing that I'll I'll tell you that's just interesting that I I again I'm looking for excuses to to bring up things. I um I was sort of stunned when I first came to 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 Vegas to find like when you go to the grocery store, they have gambling machines. You know, you go to the gas station, they have gambling machines. You go to a bar, chances are they are going to be some gambling machines. I mean, it's hard to find a place just to go hang out without gambling machines and that does become annoying uh to a certain extent. I mean, I'm and I'm not I'm not talking about the strip. I mean, just like in the suburban uh parts of of this town. But the most prominent thing is video poker. And so if you've never played video poker, here's all you really need to know about it. Uh, you know, there are a few basic hands that you, you quickly learn. You don't even have to memorize it because in many cases, they just show you, like, if you get three cards that look alike, it pays this much. Or if you get, you know, two cards like this, it pays that much. But the story I want to tell you is that, okay, when you sit down in front of a video poker machine, what happens is usually you put your money in there. Let's say it's $20 and then you, you place your bet, which could be, I don't know, let's say a dollar. Or $5, whatever. And then maybe like five cards will pop up. Boom, 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 boom. And, uh, so you look at those cards and you decide what cards you want to keep and what cards you want to discard. And, and you, you pick the ones you want to keep and then you hit the discard button. And then you get your second set of cards and that determines your final hand and that's what you get paid on. And recently somebody here in Vegas sent me a video of this guy who sat down at a video poker machine and I think he put like a hundred dollars in it. And the, 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 the thing you want is a royal flush. Uh, that's the best you're going to get in, in poker is a royal flush. Uh and so I I I forget how much the guy was betting but he hits the button and the first time he hits the button boom there it is a royal flush and he of course starts freaking out because in this particular case he's going to make $44,000 all right and so he goes, I want to capture this on video. So whoever he's with, I don't know if it was his friend or his wife, he said, film this, you know. So the other person turns on the the camera and films him and he goes, are you ready? Are you ready? I'm about to win $44,000, you know. And then he hits the button. And he forgot to save those cards. And then it was gone. <laughs> <laughs> because you have to save the cards and then hit the button and then you get your $44,000. And, uh, some people say, you know, i watched that, uh, video and it just makes me sick. <laughs> I don't know why I wanted to share that with you. Call it mental mana or something like that. Uh, you, you know, Vegas is just weird. So, Here's the next thing I wanted to tell you about. Um, I have, I don't really have a schedule and that's not good. You know, they always tell you the medical professionals say, hey, you need to have some kind of a schedule for your health, but I just don't. I mean, you know, I, I'm up at late at night working on projects or doing radio interviews or recording shows like this. And then I have to be up in the daytime doing things that normal human beings do. And you never know what my schedule is going to be. But I figured, um, I'm not a good Guinea pig for this, uh, even though I did try it, but I figured I would ask all of you if this works. I was watching this YouTube video today. Uh, actually uh, not today, but I, I was watching it the other day and I thought about, uh, bringing it up today, uh, from this doctor and this, this guy, he has millions and millions of, of viewers. On YouTube, you know, subscribers. And he said, if you want to have the best sleep you've ever had in your entire life, he goes, I'm going to give you a tip. And long story short, he said, take some bananas. And he said that he likes to um, cut them in half, take a whole banana, cut it in half and put them in a Ziploc bag and put them in his freezer I don't think that's necessary, but that's what I'm just telling you what he said. I'm not a doctor. He says he's a doctor. And then every night before you go to bed, you go to the Ziploc bag and you take out at least a half a banana, if not a whole banana, 30 to 45 minutes before you're ready to sleep. And you put that banana on a plate and you take out some cinnamon and you just basically pour a real healthy dose of cinnamon on top of that banana and eat it. And he goes, it's going to be the, he says, for one thing, it's delicious. And it actually is really good. And he says, you're going to just sleep better than you've ever slept in your entire life. And he goes through this whole like list of reasons for why that is and breaks down the chemicals and everything. So, you know, I, I tried it and I enjoyed it, but I'm like, I said, I can't tell if I slept better or not because I had to get up at some point anyway and do some stuff. So, I want you to try it out if that sounds interesting to you. And then you can just, you know, email me, uh, and let me know or post it on my social media and let me know if that, if that works for you. I'm just, I'd be interested to know if that, you know, this is like a little John Tesh tip or something like that, where I'm giving you, uh, a bedtime dessert <laughs> that you, that might help you get better sleep. Uh, before we run out of time, let me, at least try to read one email here. This comes to me from Boulder, Colorado. And this person's name is T like initial T. And then I have the last name, but I don't want to read it because, you know, I'm very particular about not giving people's name or name out. Uh, So here's, here's what T wrote me. And, and now you, you might be thinking, could this be Mr. T because believe it or not, I have met Mr. T. Um, another story for another day, but I don't think this is Mr. T. T listened to my podcast that I did, which was uh episode 142 just recently called The Emerald Tablet and the Copper Scroll. And T wrote, Joshua, that was an amazing episode. Can we say resonate? Why, yes, yes, we can. I swear I almost cried at the end with what you had to say to sum it all up. That did, in fact, go deep, as you were saying. And regardless of the origins of the emerald tablet and or copper scroll, the original message given, followed by the modernized version was just beautiful. What an aha moment. The alchemy of lead. To gold being in the metaphorical versus literal sense, just incredible. That one is probably going to get a re-listen. I loved it that much. My very favorite so far. And then T goes on talking about some other cool stuff regarding like the electrum ring, which I'll get to later. But anyway, then T says, thank you. And as you would say, Thank you for staying curious. Well, T, thank you. Um, I love Boulder. As a matter of fact, I'm going to be uh, possibly back in Boulder in the near future doing some stuff. But isn't that great? I just love reading super positive feedback like that. So that kind of stuff just makes my day. And that way I know I'm not just sitting here talking to myself. <laughs> All right, my friends clock has got us you know what time it is take a deep breath if you can close your eyes let's make your next week the best week ever here is the good fortune tone That's it for this edition of the show. Follow me on Twitter at Joshua P. Warren. Plus visit Joshua to sign up for my free e-newsletter to receive a free instant gift and check out the cool stuff in the curiosity shop all at Joshua I have a fun one lined up for you next time. I promise. So please tell all your friends to subscribe to this show.
1: Well, if you like this episode of Strange Things, wait till you hear the next one. Thank you for listening to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network.
2: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you
1: com.